This is the Boston Beat, featuring music, arts, and entertainment guests from all over New England with your host, Mike Hoban. This is the Boston Beat, featuring music, arts, and entertainment guests from all over New England with your host, Mike Hoban. One plus one is less than two from the classic ruins that was released in 1980 in the Asa Hots label. Thanks for being here today. just lost their guitar player and they were reforming the varmints. The varmints went back before that. Did I want to play with the varmints? So it was really kind of funny. Uh, before we, uh, he said, I said, who's in the varmints? Well, the drummer's Pete Taylor. I had, I had known him. I'd, you know, played with him before. The bass player is I.P. Daly. And I said, wait a minute, you got a guy in the band named I.P. Daly? I'm in, you know? So I started playing with the Varmints. I played with them for five years. Fast forward a couple of years, and uh, I run into this guy, Pete Taylor, at the Causeway, formerly Chet's, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Varmints need a new bass player. It's Billy, who you know. Frank Rose in the band now. You know, what do you think? Uh, so why not? So I joined the Varmints. Because I was writing songs the whole time through, but I wasn't uh, playing them in the band. But I had uh, about 40 songs that I could start the, uh, the varmints like that. I had tons of songs. Uh, Billy sang most of the songs. Uh, I'm trying to think if we did any. We did one or two of Frank's songs. I don't think we did any Ruin songs. I'm living day to day, could never make it free. If I don't get the rent, I'll be out in the street. To me, it was like brand new to me. So, I mean, I, all I wanted to do was play guitar, but you know, it's kind of like, well, if you want to do this, you got to do the whole thing, you know, write the arrangements. And, and I could always, I could always like sing backup, but being like a front, front man singer type guy is like a new, new area to me, new jungle for me. Uh, and by the time the band, the varmints, you know, caved in, at least that version, 
it was the same lineup as the classic ruins, only we called ourselves the Varmint. Uh, there was Pete Taylor, he worked in, and Carl Biancucci was the bass player, and there's me, and there's Billy. That's, essentially, that's the classic ruins, except that Billy's the guy in front doing the singing. Billy's songs kind of, they drank at the fountain of John Felice. I'm not saying he, uh, you know, Felice is his mentor or anything like that, but they, they, they have a lot in common. Uh, the lyrics are usually, you know, hey baby, you know, get lost. Uh, but very, you know, quick and easy, power chord. If it can be under two minutes, especially in Billy's case, beautiful. Uh, more chord oriented rather than riff oriented. Uh, you know, in, out, next. That's it. Most of the stuff you'd sing about is like stuff that most people can relate to, you know, like boy-girl relationships or uh, not having any money or, uh, you know, getting thrown out of your apartment or uh, being shot at it late at night or something, you know, whatever, you know. Just watch the news and get ideas that way, what's going on in the world. recorded four or five songs uh, with Ducky Carlisle and uh, it's, it was one of the best sessions I've ever done. Uh, it happened so fast, it's so raw because we've been playing a lot and uh, don't tell anyone we actually practice for it. It probably happened about as simply as like how this is happening right now. You interviewed me, we just kind of things just fell together and uh, uh, we, you know, we, we always want to be in the studio. We always want to uh, put out new music, and uh, uh, it was offered to us, and we said, "Yeah, let's do it." And uh, that I think that record came out really well, also. always reminded me of um, James Williamson in the Raw Power uh, era versus Kill City and, and later on. Uh, very raunchy, again, no pedals, uh, too loud, staticky, uh, just great, noisy. You know, you expect your dad to, you know, bang on the door whenever he's playing, you know, turn that, you know, sort of thing. Uh, that's what it sounds like. It's great, it's great. And the two of those guys together, uh, was unbelievable. And then, uh, you know, later on, it was uh, time to move on. So yeah, we played in the varmints for a while, but Billy's health, which was up and down for years and years, was kind of deteriorating. Uh, he was getting more and more petite mal seizures. And the way they would, they had a house gig, they had a residency at the Kirkland, the Club Bohemia when it was at the Kirkland. And uh, once a month kind of residency, a very laid back residency. And uh, they had lighting that was flickering fluorescent lights guaranteed to trigger seizures and uh, so what would happen is every couple of shows all of a sudden Billy would you know go into a petite mal seizure and he would just be standing there in the middle of the song when he's supposed to play a solo I'd look over he's there like we'd have to stop we'd have to put him over and sit him down take his guitar off this happened a few times, and, and the, the people who ran the place thought it was he was on drugs or something. They didn't like it at all. So uh, 
It happened a few times, but then what would happen is the rest of us would go on as the three-piece classic ruins, and we would play the classic ruins song. And I've still got another, uh, I don't know how many songs, I haven't counted in a while, probably another 40 songs still. I have, I mean, I'm, I'm just, well, you know, I'm a painter also, I'm just a creative type person, you know? It's, it's, it comes naturally to me. wasn't anything on the horizon we did a second album um which was at the behest of our manager there had been a shuffling around. Uh, Billy was out, but he had recorded one or two songs with us somewhere. And um, the uh, Carl was the bass player. And uh, we were the three-piece with uh, Perry and, and Carl and me. And uh, we did that one um, in Revere at a place called Euphoria Sound. out a loan because Perry worked in a bank so he could arrange a loan for us he was a bank manager so yeah so we took out a loan to cut our second album and paid it on payments and everything the album came out Anyhow, things started to be, you know, more and more laid back. And then we went six months without having a rehearsal. This is Chris, Tommy, and me. And then finally, Chris gives me a call. I moved out to San Diego. I'm going to study law out there. And, uh, okay, so I gave uh, Tommy a call and said, Chris has left town. He's not there anymore. We're going to have to find another bass player. And Tommy says... Yeah, we, I guess we will, huh? You know, so we left it at that, and we never found another bass player. So the group went into hiatus for a, a while, and uh, then uh, I got a call from um, this guy saying he wanted to put the original Classic Ruins back together, the original lineup. We hadn't seen each other for years and years, and I knew that Kevin Glasheen and Randall did not get along. And not only that, but I didn't have phone numbers for any of them. Uh, so I uh, called the place where Randall used to work. It was called First Medical. He made medical prosthetics and, and things like, you know, trusses and, you know, 
artificial limbs and stuff like that. And they said, oh, Randall's been sick lately. He, uh, he had poison, exposure to poison, because they made, they made everything out of plastics. And there were all these uh, catalysts in the plastics that were carcinogenic. So he had, like, liver cancer or something. You know, it was terrible. Uh, meanwhile, they said that Kevin Glasheen was living right here in Winthrop. And one day, I had all day Saturday, I said, I'm going to find Kevin Glasheen. I figured, knowing him, that he was going to be down on Point Shirley in the end of the beach, the crazy end of the beach down there. So I just went on my 10-speed and rode around. He's been living with these three old ladies out on the beach. They just took him in and let him live with them, three old ladies. They were like having this big, muscular, blonde guy, you know, and... Uh, so I said, uh, yeah, band reunion, you know, what do you think? He said, sure, sure, sure. So we all met at, uh, oh, it was the cover, J.J. Foley's. It's on the cover of one of the albums uh, that's on the cover of that uh, Ruins Cafe album. And uh, we met there, all looked at each other. It was funny, you know, the looks that everyone gave each other because we hadn't seen each other in a long time. We set up a rehearsal and... Uh, Billy had just had a stroke. It wasn't really a stroke. He had a bleed or something. He had been put into an artificial coma for some reason for a month. And, you know, it was a life-threatening situation. And he came out of it, but there were big gaps in his memory. But he could still play. And, uh, yeah, we rehearsed with him. It was kind of hard. And uh, But then we played the show, which was at... Um, Axis, I think. Actually, they spiffed it up. What year was that? Oh, that's a tough one. I've got a. Actually, I have an Artie Friedman disc of it. Uh, I would say this would be about the time Susan was born. So that would be eighty-eight, uh, nineteen eighty-eight. So that was before the, the the other album came out, the uh, Ruins Cafe. Ruins Cafe is the second album. Right. So it was after. Let me think here. It was so the original. Yeah, so it had the, the year of eight, 1989 on it, I believe. Okay, yeah, well, that took a while to come out. But also, uh, by that time, that band was pretty much kaput. By the time it came out, it was it was on the way down. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so it was like, it was around the same time. It was right after Classic Ruins Light, which would, I don't know, maybe it was about 88, 89, something like that. I'd have to look at the documentation. I just remember, you know the event and uh so we played this show and uh played some of the randall head songs that were good we, we dug some of those up and played them and it was soon after that uh, we played one more gig as the band in um at the uh bunratties which was not uh, a punk or garage rock venue at all it was some kind of showcase that they were having there, and they had the original classic ruins as one of the lineup. But that was the only time we ever played at Bunratties of any of our friends ever we heard of playing there because it was just a different circle. It's, it's funny about Boston how there are different circles, and uh, you can go for years and not see someone. Like I didn't see Richie Johnson for 20 years, didn't lay eyes on him for 20 years after he left. Uh, baby's arm but uh so we uh did those two gigs and soon after that randall died um he had that that liver cancer and uh he he died and i sort of forgot about it for a year or so uh i played with a band with a bunch of my high school friends we never really even had a name but we were all from the class of 1969 but we didn't go together. It didn't work. It's too many different ideas, and uh, and eventually Billy said, uh, you know, he he was going to go back in the real kids again, and uh, now I think we're up to two thousand. Do like a cross country type thing uh, on uh, I forget the name of the, the label. Uh, it was a uh, I guess I think it was an EP forty five, uh, and. Uh, Felice hated the the fucking uh, the the people there that ran the place the way they uh, the the way they ran the company because uh, like once we went out and went on tour I mean that was fun and stuff 
like we went just out to like, you know, California and then worked our way back kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, I forget how many different shows and stuff, but he, I think he was pissed off about how the record company didn't have any like uh, stuff to sell, you know, to the crowd. That's how you make your money, you know, t-shirts and you know, hats or buttons in those days, anything, you know, I didn't have any of that, that stuff and I think that pissed him off. And also the, uh, the cover of that thing, I don't know who, who was in charge of that that cover? But it was supposed to look it was supposed to look like a phoenix or something, like coming from the ground, like with flames coming off of it. And I just thought it looked so shitty. I just said it looks like a fucking chicken. It looks like a sweaty chicken. So we started calling it sweaty chicken. <laughs> so it was, it was more like it was a joke, the whole thing, you know. And uh, as far as that went, but it was fun, you know. It was it was good for me. It was fun to to kind of get back with. With Alpo again, it was like a little bit of a closure for me because I was like, you know, thrown out of the fucking band for no fucking reason at all, just because, uh, you know, Felice wanted something different, you know. It's like, pfft, fuck you. <laughs> the Classic Ruins got a gig opening for the real kids. It was called RK2K. You know, because remember, uh, there was Y2K, everything was going to shut down, all the generators were going to stop, computers were going to crash. So uh, the real kids were, were starting to f form again, and uh, they said, oh, that'd be cool. RK2K, which was a pretty amazing uh, show. Alpo tried to steal one of my guitars. Well, he was always doing stuff like that. He had to know Alpo. And uh, Carl, he, his, Carl's amp, he borrowed Carl's amp, which was a Marshall, and it failed in the middle of the real kids set. So he, Alpo freaked out. And of course it wouldn't have been a real kids gig if Alpo didn't have a tantrum. It was just part of the, it was on the program, you know, you know, halfway through the set, Alpo tantrum, you know. But, uh, well, we all got through it. So we went on for a while and then uh, Carl had to leave because he didn't get along with Perry very well. And I said, oh, here we go again. I had left Classic Ruins for a while. Um, to play with some other bands. Um, at the time, The Ruins to me uh, wasn't a personality thing. The Ruins were playing less loud music and I wanted to play more loud music. So uh, I actually started playing with Kenny Highland and uh, Johnny Black and this band called Johnny and the Jumper Cables. Um, yeah, nice little run, stupid, but uh, I thought we were pretty good. We got another bass player, a guy named Chris Hurley. Uh, we had a good time with him. He was kind of laid back. And uh, Perry moved on, and uh, we had uh, we picked up Tommy Long, who's the drummer for the Dogmatic, and he was laid back. Chris was laid back, and I was just starting to play quieter too, you know. So it wasn't like the original, you know, rip roaring loud stuff anymore. It was something else, uh, something you know, a little more cerebral and a little more laid back. Not quite as exciting maybe but we had some shows opening for the Ramones uh, Billy got us a bunch of shows opening for the Ramones we had been kind of laid back we opened for the Ramones at the channel and things slowed down we were all very laid back so we would go two or three months without a rehearsal and we'd come back and it'd be fine Scrooge's Body Shop is about a pretty recently written song. Um, uh, six years ago, maybe, five or six years ago. And we said, gee, people, uh, you know, put out Christmas songs, but they're all usually, you know, the, the Dogmatics had a good one. It sure don't feel like Christmas. and, and but, but my own particular skewed sense of humor uh, was... Scrooge's Body Shop is a place where Santa takes his sleigh to be repaired. And uh, so Scrooge is saying all this, the Scrooge, this is the picture of the guy there, he's, you know, this old mechanic, cynical, uh, 
kind of shyster who uh, who says, "Oh, um, I got some bad news. You know, we we fixed your sleigh, and it's going to cost a lot." So I had some fun lines in there. Under the hood, there's trouble too. Your engine was a herd of caribou, and you know stuff like that. Basically, how that the whole sleigh was all rusty and rotten, and they had to replace everything. And uh, then at the end, Santa can't pay until after Christmas. So they say, "Oh yeah, well in that case, we're going to hold on to it until we get paid." You know, it was. We made a uh, hundred of them. We sent them all over town. Never heard it once on wow. any radio station. So then Carmelita heard it. And she came up to me, uh, this was a year or two later, and says, how come you didn't give me one of those? And I said, I gave you five of them, oh. and they didn't play it even once at AAF. I think your interns just stole them all, because it wasn't just a, a CD with a magic marker. We wanted to make it stand out in a pile of CDs, so I did artwork, and Kathy did the graphic design for it and everything, and it took a couple of days, and then she... You had this machine that could print a label on a CD. Who are the current members? I would say the longest-running version of the Classic Ruins has been Carl Biancucci and me with various drummers. Like, we've had Dave for six years and have no reason to think that we'll get anyone else because he's perfect for the three-piece format. He's a, you know, Keith Moon, wild drummer. We get Carl, who's a wild bass player. He's very into Jack Bruce. And, uh, and I overplay from time to time, you know, but of course between singing and playing guitar and stuff, it's uh, pretty easy to overplay in a three-piece. So yeah, we have fun doing it. Okay, that's fine. Uh, we, we did a three-piece and we actually had a lot of fun being a three-piece group because three-piece is, you know, a lot of freedom. You get to overplay and there's still big holes, you know, that, that you, if you need to have holes there. It's nope. still classic ones. I'm the only existing living member of the original lineup but so, you know, I look at the old record there. Okay, Randall, he died like 20-something years ago. Kevin died 10 years ago. Billy died five years ago. Yeah. What's miss who's missing? The Grim Reaper's missing from this picture. <laughs> it's, right. it's really a feeling. Sometimes I feel like the Redcoats in that Howard Pyle uh, painting of the Battle of Bunker Hill with their own oh. line, and there's all these gaps in the line and oh. Redcoats lying on the ground. It's just the ones that are still alive, we have a lot in common now, you know. And uh, the ones that aren't, well, there's an awful lot of them. There's probably more of them. How many gigs a year does the band still play? One thing you can say about Classic Rones is Classic Rones has never had a five-year plan, a five-week plan, a f you know what I mean? Um, we're talking about it now. It's too bad the ruins, either before or with me, never took advantage of Spain and France uh, the way the real kids and liars did, and Willie Loco, too, especially. Uh, countries like that seem to, or these three countries, really seem to love good Boston garage and punk rock. Um, granted, classic ruins were having their own fun, but I think it would have been great doing Europe so maybe maybe now while we can this is one anchor that won't weigh you down anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free which you can use right from your phone or computer creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great they'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere like on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. Creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Don't walk, you know. Was there ever any major label interest? 
never were in contact with anybody from major record labels. I don't know, what what label would it be? Epic Records isn't going to come up and say, yeah. oh, we want a, one of these, we want a piece of this garage rock action in Boston. And pretty soon that gaze passed over Boston and fastened on Seattle where you had yeah. grunge, which was really not that different from garage rock. Mm. Sort of scratches the same itch, so to speak. Um, but it's just different sounding. I'd like to say that, oh, we came this close. Uh, if they had, if Berserkly had been interested in us or someone else had been interested in us, that was right when I was having babies. Mm. And, you know, I can't turn my back on my kids, you know. it's I can turn back on them now. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> but we were sort of known by people, you know. Uh, we always get invitations for the Christmas party or whatever from Aerosmith and stuff. But uh, that, and it's still paid full price at McDonald's, you know. Uh, I would hope that years down the line, somebody will pick out a, you know, a John Feliz song or a Frank Rose song, some 20-year-old, and say, I'm going to redo this. Just like when that guy Moby did uh, Revolver, but Mission to Burma, which apparently put Clint's kid through college. In the mid-80s, he did a version of That's When I Reach For My Revolver. Pretty good, you know? But I'm sure, you know, Burma had long broken up before Moby had ever heard of him. Next thing you know, they're on the, dan the dance charts, you know? And the, because Rick is so good at business, Clint, as the song's author, you know? And it was a good song. Kids of that generation should hear that. I'm not the biggest Burma fan, but that's a great song. You know, and I think it's good, and I think someone should do a Feliz song one of these days. We also did a, a Billy Borgioli song. This was after Billy was already passed. Uh, actually, no, it was before he passed. He passed soon after that. Uh, we put it out, and uh, forget about it. It's a it's a good rocker. Uh, it's got the best of everything Billy does, I think. You always say whatever what you want. You make your choice and now it's back to haunt you. Ain't nothing to me. Ain't nothing. It ain't nothing to me. But we slowed it down. And his version is, you know, much faster, one verse shorter. And so it's a very short cut on the, on the, the Varmint's CD. I had to write another verse to it because it wasn't, we didn't have enough verses for the arrangement we made. But I wasn't writing anything different. Uh, his version was, uh, what you're trying to sell me, I ain't buying. You better never let me see you crying. And... Uh, um, I just basically wrote the same verse with different words and different rhymes, and uh, it worked, but it was slower. So Billy said to me, how come you did my song slower? And I said, well, this is how it is. We wanted it to be a single length, and uh, it said more Keith Richards to me than Johnny Ramone. So instead of going, da 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 it goes, you know, and... It was a, a fun song to play.
I produced the first single of the Dogmatics. Oh, you did. Um, we just one night we went to the loft down on uh, um, what you call it Street down there. Uh, see, I'm drawing blanks with the names there. Thayer Street. Thayer Street, Thayer Street. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Well, anyways, there was a loft party down there, and they said, "Let's go down." You know, and uh, we go down, and the dogmatics set up, and I had Billy and I had dropped acid that night. Now <laughs> I hadn't dropped acid since the hippie days. And we had this friend, Tom, came along, he had some acid. Do you want to try some acid? We'll go out and party. And I uh, had just finished playing at Cantones, and Billy and I are sitting there, we drop acid. And Billy said, sure. You know, he was, you know. So we start, you know, I, I picked up Denise. She was sleeping at home, and uh, she said, sure, I'll come, come along. She didn't take any acid, but we're sitting there on a pile of cases of beer, watching the, the makeshift stage, and out comes the Dogmatics. And the O'Halloran brothers are there, and Billy looks at me and says, there's two of them, right? You know, like, <laughs> like thought he was seeing double. Because they, it, it, when they were young, Pete and, uh, they, they looked exactly oh, they the same. Exactly yeah. the same. Paul and Pete, they were just like, and to make matters worse, every song or so they would swap guitar and bass. <laughs> And then we see the drummer, and we go, look at that drummer, you know, and Tom's there, you know. You know, like, it was just, uh, it was just a, a fun time. And, uh, yeah, so we just, they, we went on to introduce them to some stuff like Eddie uh, Cochran songs and things like that. And, uh, uh, well, Denise was really into rockabilly, so she, like, took them on a tour of that. And, uh. I ended up, they won some uh, recording time at a studio in Somerville, and uh, so we recorded their first single there, and uh, I, they just did a Christmas show, well I guess it wasn't really a Christmas show, it was uh, a show for the uh, um, the movie about uh, Chet's Chet. Last Call, yeah, yeah. and uh, I played, uh, they asked me if I would play because the ruins couldn't make it so oh. I brought my uh, I brought a 12 string a Christmas red 12 string guitar out and uh, uh, played that song uh, give me the shakes I think it oh, was shake, yeah. and uh, it was fun yeah we've always known him and Tommy Long was in the classic ruins for yeah. years um, I think it was give me the shakes and 20 flight rock um, yeah, give me the shakes. I did a harmonica solo. The uh, I don't I don't get a chance to use harp much. I've played harp since I was a kid, and I'm a pretty decent blues harp player. But what we didn't think about at the time, they asked me to produce the single. I didn't know anything about production. They liked my record, so they figured that I could <laughs> produce them. And, and, and you know, and uh, but I was a, a, a tyro and. Uh, yeah, so I had a harmonica solo. What we didn't realize was that there weren't strobe tuners for everybody to use at the time. And what we considered in the studio to be guitars that are in perfect tune didn't quite up with, match up with uh, what Nax Honer thinks oh. of as a perfectly tuned harmonica. Boy. So my harp is a little bit off, and I try to bend a lot of notes. Oh, a couple of clinkers in there. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, then he did uh, 20 Flight Rock on that one. And then eventually they re-recorded it, and uh, the the same reviewer uh, that said that my harp had been out of tune in the uh, you, you can't tune a harp, but uh, he said that now the saxophone solo is out of tune. You know, same deal. You can't tune a saxophone. There's no keys on the side of it that you can just turn. So for Room Start Spinning uh, that was released on in Italy in 2002 on Rave Up Records. Anything rare or unreleased on these? That album, the label was called Rave Up. It still exists. And the owner, Pierre Paolo, is a huge fan of Boston Garage from mid-70s to, I think, 83. And he got in touch with us. He was doing a 500 uh, limited edition on vinyl. And all the stuff on it is from cassette. 
So it was outtakes from Lassie Eats Chickens, uh, a couple of radio things, and uh, the Ace of Hearts single. Um, Rick and I, Rick Hart and I, had a, an innocent misunderstanding that we've, we've since uh, discussed, uh, and I've apologized for, no malice intended, but uh, uh, it's a good record. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a hodgepodge. Uh, came out really nicely, but that's what it is. He's, Frank's guitar playing is a nice combination of, of all the, you know, guitar gods we grew up with, the, uh, you know, the Cream era Clapton, the Yardbirds era Beck, the Yardbirds era Jimmy Page. Um, no pedals at all, which I love. Uh, they should be outlawed. It's just uh, his guitar, his amp, he's got a great tone. Um, I don't think you'd ever hear him play a B.B. King album, but he'd play, uh, you know, a John Mayall album with Eric Clapton on it to steal some licks, that sort of thing. So to me, it's a nice combination. Um, you know, some hot licks and then bang, back into the song. Uh, he loves the power chords, and goodness knows I do, so yeah, it's a good fit. We recorded nine songs. What we want to do is put out a vinyl s single with a download card um, for sound purposes, for you know, kitsch purposes. Uh, it's nice to have a tangible. And the A side is going to be, believe it or not, a Billy Borsioli song. I should have brought a copy for you called Forget About It. But we're really happy. We want to put out a series of uh, singles, maybe an EP. Uh, but I like it all on, on some form of vinyl. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I have nothing against MP3s, if, you know, that gets the, the music out there, but uh, that's the plan right now. I mean, we're, we're playing all the time, go. Uh, we have friends in Bologna. Um, there's a small but steady rock and roll scene there. Uh, we had an Italian-only album put out in Rome a couple of years ago, and I know we're welcome there. So, so we'll see. Classic Ruins. That's what we are. <laughs> this is called Jolene, I Need Money.
Drinks so bad. 
This has been the Boston Beat with your host Mike Hoban. Boston Beat is produced by Mike Hoban and Lenny Scaletta. Directed and edited by Lenny Scaletta. Studio engineer is Scott Hatton. Recorded at WLBN Studio in Woburn, Massachusetts. Special thanks to Patrick Gordon and Medford Community Media. Theme song written by Tom Abbott. Performed by Battery Bridge. Copyright 2019.